You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Good morning. Turn again in, in our scriptures to Romans chapter 2 this morning. Romans 2. We are just moving along here. And uh, as you're getting near to verse 1 of chapter 2, we've got a picture this week. I have two of them, but they're from the same guy. This particular guy turns in pictures most weeks. So um, this is from Malachi. I just love it because Welch's is on there, partly. But uh, no, we talked about grape juice last week. The, the, uh, the real versus, yeah, it's kind of, you know, great value. I love the asterisk, you know, maybe subject to preference. Maybe you like best value, whatever. That's good. Uh, uh, authentic, counterfeit, natural flowers versus plastic. And then we were talking about God's design, weren't we? For men and women, fitting. There's one more. So God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. Perhaps some in the highest court in the land uh, could go back to Genesis and, and be helped there. But uh, anyway, let's go into chapter 2 here. Thank you, Malachi, for that. And uh, let's look at God's Word, verses 1 through 11, and read it together. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, Do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Let's pray once again. Lord, again, we ask you to guide us as this letter takes on a very personal tone today. I pray for each soul in this room that can understand the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of your word. And I include the preacher in this prayer that you would work amongst our hearts in these 11 verses to pull out and hammer in the renovating work you want to do by your Spirit um, in us sinners who only in Christ are saved by grace. So guide our time by your Spirit that we might understand uh, these things before us. 
and guide this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is one of those think-on-this-type sermons. Think about this. It's really a call to examine each of your hearts. And if you just understood that last sentence, that's you. To examine your own heart. But to examine the heart here, it seems that Paul pulls out a hammer. And I brought a hammer from home. And I'm not going to go through the church hammering walls and pounding to make this illustration. But I brought this along. This is a says four pounds here. Four pound weight. I, mean, I know there's bigger ones out there. This one's a good heavy one. And it's used for, you could use it to pound nails, but it is really, once you get the weight going, it's going gonna, it's gonna to move something. And if I started pounding it, you can believe me, it would move stuff. And it moved, I had to remember, I think I'm pretty sure we used this in our kitchen last spring when we moved a wall. There was a wall in our kitchen, if you've been to our house, and we took the wall out, and it was great fun. I'd recommend it. It's good to take out walls. Chip and Joanna do it all the time, so okay, we'll take the wall out. And so you pound away at the wall, and this thing is made to move it. And I'm sure if you asked the wall, said, how does that feel, wall? The wall would say, it does not feel good. But after the pounding and the hammering, there is an open space, and we are just loving our kitchen and our living room, and it's connected, and it's a, it's a wonderful place, but the hammer did some of the work. Paul here, if I can bring it to our passage here, Romans 2, Paul is taking a hammer to our own heart. You know, it's all, and I put this in quotation, it's all, in, it's all fun in Romans 1, maybe 18 through 32. There's, there's them. Yeah, look at them. Look at what they're doing. Look at the sins of the world. Look at the culture, and we rightly should. It's all fun, and, but then now we get, now it's going to get a little personal. Paul's going to change the pronouns here from a they to a you and make it personal and hammer in on you, oh man or woman, on you. So it's getting personal, but as one professor of mine used to say, it's pain with a purpose. And I hope you see that through this. That these are things that are, these are heavy things. As we go through chapter 2 and into 3, it continues that way. It's kind of just these, we're on a series of this, why do we need saving? And kind of this, okay, is there hope? Well, yes, there is. That's what we, what we preach. But we need to know this, why do we need saving? And Paul just keeps almost, we're going to see weekly here as we go through it, just keeps hammering at this. So let's look at verse 1 and work, our, work through the passage here. And it says this again, verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. I, I don't think Paul, at least not many, he's met some, but he's never met all of those whom he's writing to in Rome, in this book of Romans, and yet he can make a statement like this. And as I said, all throughout chapter 1, at least 18 through uh, 32, you've got these third person, that's the third person pronoun, the they's and the them's, and now again there's this personal turn here. It's one thing to point out sins of others. Now Paul, he's going to meddle. He's going to make it personal here. And the, and the, the, the question is, what about 
you? What about me? What about you? You can look at all these other ones, but the question is you. Now, one question as we think about this is just who is Paul addressing here? Who is the you that Paul's addressing? Is this a is he talking to the Jews primarily here? Maybe the Greeks, Gentiles, uh, moralists, as some suggest. Uh, many look at you know that he's pointing towards Jews, and and um, we've seen here already. Whereas yeah, and what we read already, verses nine through eleven, there's that he talks about the Jew first, and then the Greek. That idea, um, really though, all we have, and what I what I just go, okay, well, what does the text say? It just says, "You have no excuse, O man," and it actually says that twice. Do you suppose in verse three, "O man"? So I I think you can see there's some Jewish allusion here, some hints. Nothing's just definitely for sure. He's not just saying, therefore, you Jews have no excuse, but it's just, it seems broad, like you man. And I think in one part, we can just assume those who have just read through 18 through 32 and the God gave them up to lusts and the dishonorable passions and the debased mind and all these sorts of things, maybe they kind of just kind of rub their hands, wash their hands and said, well, man, I'm glad that's not me. And I'm, I'm boy, those, those poor souls. Right, as they look at this, and now, now they keep reading, and Paul just, again, he drops the hammer. You who judge, you look at this, why don't you check your heart? Look here. Do you do those same things? Now, one question, because the word is so oft, I think it's seven times here, this word of judging, one question is, well, does this verse condemn any sort of judging? I mean, the... the the world likes to bring this right. It is, and the question is, is it always wrong to judge another? The, the popular to take, take today, even of non-Christians, is, is to quote Jesus. He said, judge not, so don't, don't judge. And in Scripture, we see there are warnings of judgment. Uh, James, the book of James says, who are you to judge your neighbor? Jesus, Matthew 7, we'll look at it a little bit, ju- says, judge not, lest you be judged. Paul here saying, you know, you who judge, check yourself. Um, and then elsewhere. But in many other ways, we can't help but make judgment calls. We, we just do this in our lives. Um, I judge that that is a man and that's a woman. There's a judgment call. Uh, you can judge that man has a temper. Or you can make a judgment somebody's up on a ladder and you say, you are up dangerously high. You've made a judgment call. And the person up there might say, Quit judging me as they fall down or whatever, however, but you make, we, we do this in so many different things. W- would you say, I've wrongly judged someone? Some might say, but I've wrongly judged someone, a man or a woman. Or I've wrongly said if somebody had a hot temper, and I say, that one has a hot temper, that that's, that's wrong. Maybe there's more to know, but, or apologize, I'm sorry, I shouldn't point out the dangers of being so high, I'll just keep my mouth. We, we just do this all over. We, we can objectively judge many things. But what's the aim? What, again, it's be, guard our own hearts. Watch your heart. Jesus, let me quote a little longer from his pa- this passage in Matthew 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounced will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I think we're seeing that somewhat here in Romans. That's kind of that idea. But it goes on. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, 
but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? So I would argue that Jesus here, he's against a certain kind of judging. There's a judging that condemns everyone else to the exclusion of looking within, within your own log, the lone log in your eye. Say, I'm up on a, on a ladder too, up so high, and I'm saying, well, you're really up high. He says, well, you are too. And I look at myself. What's my danger? So there's this examination. Let me just say, to acknowledge, to proclaim what is true and what is good and what is evil, according to God from His Word, is not to judge. It's to proclaim truth. Scripture is filled with this. Filled with it. Scripture is true. And it's filled with these truths. We're to proclaim truth truth to call sin what it is and at the same time as chapter 2 is calling us examine our own hearts and watch out and look within and then also entrust what ultimate judgment to the righteous judge he will he sees all he knows we can entrust him Let's go a little further, verses 2 through 3. Let me read them again. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Paul's hammer here just continues to strike at the heart of man who does these same things. And and you hear this phrase, now you've seen it here, those who practice such things. It's in verse 2. We read it in verse, uh, yeah, judgment of God falls on those who practice such things. And then verse 3, you who judge those who practice such things. And it ties us back to verse 32 in chapter 1. Look back at verse 32. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things. You see it again. Always helpful when there's repetition. It gives us where do we go. God's decree, at least in that former section there, is what? Those who practice unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, all these things, lusts of the hearts, foolish, ruthless people, they who practice, they deserve to die. Those who practice those things. And so Paul now in chapter 2 comes with this first question of many in Romans. And it's a question to the you, to them. Do you suppose you who do these same things, that you're going to escape the judgment of God? It's a question to them. Ecclesiastes 12.14 speaks of judgment. It says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. In fact, just a few verses later, if you look down at, just gaze down at Romans 2.16, There's a day when, according to my gospel, God, and there it kind of is again, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Genesis 18 speaks of the the judge of the earth who will do what is right. Psalm 7, verse 11, calls him a righteous judge, as I mentioned. He is a good and righteous judge. Hebrews 12, 23 calls God the judge of all. And Paul is saying here, no one who practices these things will escape God's judgment. 
it will be just of him. And we'll see, that, we'll see later here, that carries with it the wrath and the fury, the tribulation, distress in this judgment. So the question is direct here. Are you going to, you think if you do these things, you're going to escape this judgment? And so you, yourself, you stand condemned. The temptation here, I think, is the, the hammer's whittling away at is that thought, well, I'm not as bad off as the next guy. Or certainly not those in chapter 1. Or maybe, maybe if it's a Jewish audience, you know, well, we're, you know, we can escape, we're God's people. That idea. Paul hammers away at the self-righteousness of men and women, every one of them. And he's going to keep doing it throughout here. But verse 4 asks another question. So, will you escape? Now verse 4, another question. This one, little, I think a little different. Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So this day of judgment, it looms over the one who does these very same things, but instead of repenting, this, this, the sinner just maybe shrugs and says, Where's the fire? I don't, I don't see it yet. I'm not, okay, there's some judgment. I don't know, I'm still walking. I'm, I'm okay. Simply because you are not burning in hell at this moment is no proof of vindication or salvation before Almighty God. God's kindness is not approval. His forbearance is not an endorsement of your sin. His patience is not without limit to the sinner. And it's all grace here that the sinner might repent. There's the word in here. This idea of repentance. To lead you to repentance. The idea of a change of mind. Or a, I like the, the turning about. The turning. It's the idea of acknowledging, that's me. I practice those things. I have sin. I have guilt. I own it. And I want to turn from it. Because I recognize before a holy God, I am a sinner. And it realizes God is right to judge that sin, my, my sin. Jesus puts it this way in Luke 13. Verses 4 and 5, he says, Those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Is repentance important? Absolutely. It's not to look, oh, that tower, boy, those must have been sinners. You will likewise perish if you do not repent. But then Paul warns. He warns of this coming wrath for the unrepentant one. Look at verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Because of this hard, because of this, at least the ESV says impenitent, it's, it's literally unrepentant, your unrepentant heart, wrath is being stored up for this day of God's judgment. And so wrath and judgment, they're seen uh, together here. Wrath being that, that righteous anger, 
righteous anger of God against sinners. I think it's pictured Psalm 18 as smoke coming from God's nostrils. It gives us an image. Smoke from nostrils. A devouring fire from His mouth. Glowing coals flaming forth from Him. It says God's response, a holy, a righteous wrath on those rebels against their Creator, against His holiness and His righteousness, against those who practice such things. And as we move into verse 6, it kind of completes the thought of verse 5 and then leads into the rest of 6 through 11 here. So look just at 6. He will render to each one according to his works. You know, what's stored up? What wrath? You're going to get the works. It's rendered to each one according to his works. Now, it's actually here, there's a quote from Psalm 62, 12, I think Proverbs 24, somewhere as well. Um, says in part, for you will render to a man according to his work. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 16. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? This is familiar language to us. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And so Paul is going to launch from here and he's going to go into this more, the doing, the doing evil, the doing good. But we might ask here and all of a sudden we've got a question for the text. What's Paul doing? I thought Paul, I thought it was salvation by grace through faith, righteousness through Christ. He's interested in some new works here, some works-based salvation. If you've read any of Paul, you know, no. So we start there. No, there's not a new gospel he's preaching. So then we ask, what's going on here? Let's hold that question for a moment and then just let's look into what's, what's further here. Hold on to that. We're going to work through this next section, verses 7, really 7 through 10. And I'm going to try to put some things together. Um, I wouldn't have seen this other than commentaries and notes, but there's a Hebrew chiasm here, and a chiasm is just simply the way of writing sometimes is the point is made and then a counterpoint and then another counterpoint and then back to the other original point. It kind of looks like this, yeah, from where you're, yeah, it looks like that as you, as you would put these lines together. And so it, what does that mean for us? Verse 7 is really connected to verse 10. And then verse 8 and 9 form this middle part, a kind of a sandwich of sorts. And so I want to look at verse 7 and 10 together, and then we'll look at 8 and 9. So let's look at verse 7 here. So verse 6, He will render to each one according to his works. Verse 7, To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give eternal life. Now jump down to 10. And kind of the same idea comes back but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. So Paul's speaking of those who do good and and then God gives eternal life. How do we think on this? Now, there's more ideas than this, but I would hold to two thoughts. I don't know that they're exactly two separate thoughts, but just two thoughts to think through this 
This is going to be a challenging passage. Grace by faith. But then there seem to be talking about works here. What's going on? So let's start with context. Context is king. It's always helpful. So what's, what's Paul? If we go back and we just think, what's he mainly arguing about here? What's, what's his main thrust? Well, I've probably repeated it over and over today. He's saying, you, oh man, you judge and yet you do the same thing. You can expect this wrath of God. He's accusing these ones themselves, accusing them of a hard, a unrepentant heart. And so I think the argument of at least 7 and 10 presents in, in one way, I think it presents a high, high bar, and it condemns the one who Paul is talking to. Even this glory, the honor, the immortality of verse 7, it seems to tie back to Romans chapter 1 and verses 21 through 22. Um, I just look back there. It says this in 21, although they knew God, they did not. I mean, here's honor him as God or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, resembling mortal man and so forth. There the unrighteous do not honor God. They exchange the glory of the immortal God. So that's kind of looking past context. Paul is all about you who do these same things are facing wrath and judgment. But also, if we look further on, even in verse 29 of this chapter, and we can, we can scout ahead a little bit. It's okay. Verse 29 says, But a Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And so we see there's a circumcised heart by the Spirit that matters. And, and then if we even just grab a little further out of chapter 3, verse 12, what do we find there? Is there some gospel? Is it some good going on? Verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And so we're back here in chapter 2. Glory, honor, peace for everyone who does good. So I think a case can be made. Paul is cutting off hopes of a self-righteousness with a high bar. You seek all these things, you do good. It's higher than you think. You cannot attain it. But then I said two things, and the other is an intriguing thought and connected here, and I think hopefully it will make sense to you. I want to ask, what, what is the characteristic of someone that repents? What characterizes them? John the Baptist, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Go to Ephesians 2. I can't remember if we went there last week or I just read from it, but Ephesians 2, verse 8. Any of you have that memorized? Maybe you do. I think this is helpful for answering our question, what? what's Paul also maybe getting at here? Ephesians 2. There's the high bar. There's the impossibility of doing good that we would earn eternal life. But look at this, Ephesians 2. Let me just read um, 8 through 9 here. For by grace, this is the same writer of Romans, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And we might rightly say, there you have it. There is no doing. It's, 
It's grace. You're saved by faith, and you are right. Salvation is by the grace of God. It's the, what are we, it's the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation in uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17. But then let's ask, what about conversion? What about the converted one? What characterizes them? And the way this is written helps us. Look at verse 10. Because 8 and 9 is our salvation by grace alone. And then looks, look what are the results of this salvation. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So a new creation for good works. What are these good works? They're which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So yes, Think back in Romans chapter 2, verse 7 and 10, we could say that those who abide in Christ, they will bear fruits. The repentant one will bear fruit, not as a gaining of a salvation, but what? It's the evidence of it. The evidence of repentance. We repent and, and we keep just persistently going after other things. We, we want to look and say, is that, is that real repentance? Is that a converted heart? Because good works will follow. And we still, and yet we struggle, and we need Christ. We need His intercessions. We talked about this morning in Sunday school. So bearing fruit is a must. But I think in Paul's argument, I'm just going to go with at this point in the letter. I think he's driving though even deeper as we as we just come upon this. He's just demolishing the thoughts of man that says, "On my own, I can do good. I can honor God. I'm okay with God on my own." The hammer is coming to that. And the hammer comes if we just keep reading and look into verses 8 and 9. Look here. But for those who are self-seeking, I mean, it's, we're just demolished. Are you in that category? Do you ever seek anything for yourself? And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. These ones, where the wrath and the fury is coming, these are the self-seeking ones, the ones who obey unrighteousness, who do evil. And the judgment of God is upon them. It, it seems in a way, verses 8 and 9 are just, they're a condensed version of Romans 1, 18 through 32. It just kind of compresses them together. And here we might do well just to think a little bit more on this idea of God's wrath and His judgment. There are other places in Scripture that speak of the wrath and judgment of God. It's at this point I feel like I would love to share even more of this even for my mind to get wrapped around what is truly, what is this wrath and judgment of God? I don't think, I would dare say any of us understand this fully of how much we have gone against a holy God and how much we deserve in our sin. But the text gives us words of description and so I just will just hold on to what the text has for us here. And there's four descriptions really of this judgment. There's this wrath. There's fury. That's verse 8. Then there's verse 9. Tribulation. 
and distress. Wrath, we talked about God's holy anger. Can you imagine eternal wrath, God's holy anger for eternity on you and I, the sinner? Then there's this word fury. It's got the state of, look these, some of these things up, you know, somebody's furious. A state of intense displeasure. A state of intense displeasure. That's the fury of God towards those who are self-seeking, who don't obey the truth, who, are un, who obey unrighteousness. You ever, you ever have someone displeased with you that you wanted to be pleased with? I can remember, a, I think, a high school teacher. I was in a class, and I liked this teacher. And uh, I was just goofing off, and I think I went over the line. You ever go over the line? And all of a sudden, I kind of just felt that displeasure, that turn, and you, and you feel that. Or you feel a displeasure towards someone, someone you want to be pleased with you, and you feel that. This is infinite displeasure from God for eternity. The fury of God. Tribulation. Affliction. And then there's the word distress. Maybe words like anguish. Trouble. Hence images. We've got images in Scripture of eternal fire. Damnation for those who face this wrath of God. And it's how long? It's eternal. Joseph Schumann writes this, God must act justly and judge sin. That is, He must respond with wrath. Otherwise, God would not be God. God's love for His glory motivates His wrath against sin. You hear that? God's love for His glory motivates the wrath against sin. God is holy. He's righteous. And yes, God's love for His glory above all else demands His wrath towards those who are in opposition to this God, which Paul is taking the hammer to to say, that's everybody. No one does good. Psalm chapter 2, verse 12 says this, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. The Lord is worth, he is so worthy. I was in a sermon this week. He is infinitely worthy, I think was said. He is worthy of all glory and worship, and he's justifiably, in case you think, well, that's kind of a, I don't like that God. He's justifiably wrathful against those in rebellion to that glory, to that worship. So we come to verse 11, pretty short, last verse here. I'm not mentioning a lot of this till now, but the verse says, For God shows no partiality. What's Paul getting at? We've already seen it. The Jew first, also the Greek. The Jew first, also the Greek. God, there's no partiality. Everyone who is self-seeking, everyone who is unrighteous, everyone who practices the same things are guilty. And what's the expectation for Jew or Greek, for you or me from this part of the world or that part of the world? It's judgment, it's wrath and fury and tribulation and distress in eternal, in the eternal state. 
As we bring this to a close, the hammer work, I want us to think on this. Think on this. Maybe you already, you've been thinking, what about you? Are you this, would you fill in yourself as the O man? Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Is that you? Have you considered rightly, before looking at specs, where are you at? What's the log here? The glaring log that says, Lord, I'm just as guilty. I want to do a little, it's not an experiment, but just work through it a little bit. Look, at, look back at Romans one twenty nine. Somehow we just can't go too far from this chapter. Uh, look at verse 29. I just want to walk through this as we contemplate. What about your own logs? Are you the O man? You fit any of these descriptions, and maybe even up above as well. Lusts of hearts, impure hearts, dishonoring of your body, dishonorable passions within. Or in verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil, covetousness. Do you ever covet? Do you ever want what somebody else has? Filled with malice. I looked up the word malice. It means ill will. You ever, maybe we're kind to a lot of people, you ever just kind of maybe just silently you're thinking, ooh, malice, ill will. They're full of envy. You ever been envious? Murder? What's Jesus say? You're angry? Strife? Deceit? You ever fudge the truth just a bit? for your own gain. Maliciousness. They're gossips. Good thing nobody does that. Right? Gossips. Slanderers. Haters of God. Insolent. What's insolent mean? Just rude. You ever been rude? You ever been haughty? Boastful. Hey, look, hey, look, look. You ever invented evil? Disobedient to parents? Are you just, are you just cutting down? Is the hammer just whittling away? You ever acted foolishly? Faithlessly? Even heartless or ruthless? Those who do such things deserve to die, deserve the wrath of God. Will you escape God's judgment? Now, Paul is moving in Romans towards the cross. We're getting there. This is heavy hammer work right now. The hammer's out. The question is, will you remain on a course of destruction? Will you stay there and face this eternal wrath of God while there is time, while His patience and His forbearance is here? Or will you see this hammer, even of today, and those around you, the hammer into your life saying, repent. It's God's gracious hammer to our lives. Even this, this word to us is His graciousness to us. That we not think, I think I'm doing okay with the Lord today. We can say we're not only in Christ. Think on this. And so if you agree, if you say, I am that man, I'm that woman, I practice those same things. May it lead you to where? The glorious one who
who bore God's wrath on the cross. D.A. Carson talks about this, this coming together of God's love at the cross and God's wrath at the cross. Nowhere else will it be satisfied other than Christ and our repentance and turning to Christ. May that be your story. And may you look within your heart this week. Let me pray for us. Lord, if we're honest and we can look within, any one of these things is enough to condemn us to eternity. Were it not for your sovereign grace to call out a lost sheep, we would be lost, facing rightly what we wanted, our sin and our rebellion and our walking away from you. Lord, I pray that as, as we march towards the cross and even in the Easter season and we march towards that, that death, burial, and resurrection, which is the gospel of our salvation to look to Christ, may we march understanding what it is that we in our sin deserve. Your holiness, your righteousness, and our lack, our uncleanliness, our cursedness. And Lord, as we see that more, may, may it illuminate for those that know Jesus, illuminate that cross in the light of glory. And for those, Lord, that have never come to you and not repented and turned, had their lives turned around, today would you work in their hearts to be that repentant one that says, Lord, thank you for being kind, for not taking me to that eternity, yet I repent and I turn to Christ save me from these sins. Help them in that and help us to live out our faith in what we do. I pray this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.